And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thy army, horses and horsemen, and all them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togmar of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. <coughs> Excuse me, and we'll just trust the Lord to bless his word to our hearts this morning. And you know, the most notable thing I always find when I read Ezekiel 38 is verse 3, for it says, Thus saith the Lord, I am against thee. No matter what people try, no matter what people plan, no matter what they endeavor to do, they need to realize if God is against them, it is going to fail. And you know, today, many, we are hearing many who are now declaring that the end is nigh, and we'll see later on that it's been the end is nigh for a long time because of the signs. And they claim that they have, <clears throat> they have predicted all this, what's happening in the world today. And they say that this is the start of the literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them even refer to themselves as prophets. And the sad thing is many of them are listening to them. Many people are listening to them. And many people are believing them. I spoke to a gentleman once I was asked to, or I was introduced to, uh, by a Christian friend, and he referred to himself, I can't remember his name, but he referred to himself as the prophet Alan, or whatever his, his name was. And when I began to talk about the, from the Bible and verses from the Bible, this prophet obviously had never read the Bible. And so you need to be careful. You know, one, prof, one alleged prophet I read recently, he claimed that the Taliban are the actual descendants of the Jews who fled during the Depression. And where on earth he got that, who knows? And he also claimed that uh, the city of Atlantis, I don't know if you've been watching some documentaries, there are some diving teams that are telling us they're going to find this lost city of Atlantis. And according to him, this is the end time when Atlantis is erased and the North Atlantic Coalition are going to come together and form a new world order. And, you know, we need to remember, there's been many, many claims. I was just thinking as I was studying there, do you remember the war in Iraq? This was to be the mother of all wars. That was the, the, the very famous statement from Mr. Hussein. And yet, when the uh, Iranian uh, foreign minister stood in the steps of their parliament saying that they were pushing the Americans back, you could see in the background the American tanks coming up the street towards him. What about the war in Syria? We're told that that was the start of World War III because... Russia backed the Syrian president, uh, Bashar al-Assad. A news report at the time stated, Syria is often called Russia's last remaining ally in the Middle East, and Moscow's continuing refusal to support the United States, the European Union, and the Arab League in condemning the Assad regime certainly appears to support that claim. The reasons cited for Russia's allegiance to Damascus are many. 
The Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin and Syrian President Bashar al-Assad are said to have a sort of autocratic solidarity, with Putin afraid that the Arab Spring encourages challenges to his own rule. At the same time, Russia is thought to have a major economic interest in Syria, including arms contracts, a Russian-leased naval base, and plans for nuclear energy cooperation. Now, why was that important? Well, another report stated that Russia and Syria had started joint Air Force patrols near the Israeli border. And that, for me, would be more concerning as to bringing us to the last time than the events at the minute in Ukraine. The Russian Defense Ministry said patrols included the Golan Heights, the southern border of Syria, Euphrates River, northern Syria, and ministry says patrols will be carried out on a regular basis and will include practicing of air attacks and maneuvers. And he said the path of these patrols were the Israel, Israeli and Syrian border Golan Heights where uh, Israeli strikes are suspected to have been fired against Iranian and Hezbollah positions. So we see all these prophecies. And I began to, th to, th to think, you know, and the Lord brought me in another direction because obviously I was going to concentrate on Ezekiel. But then I looked at these prophecies, I looked at all these claims by certain people, and I was reminded of the scripture, Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I'm not criticizing anyone. But you talk to some people, and they tell you all these things, and there's no biblical foundation in them, and that's why they're believing all these things. I told you before about a guy I work with, and he told me that a, a yellow race would rule the world. And I said, who told you that? And he said, oh, it says it in the Bible. Well, somebody show me it, because I have tried. I can't find it. But I'm open. You show me it, please, if anybody knows what that is. But a basic knowledge of God's word would reveal these false prophets and what they are, what they are proclaiming. And remember the most important verse concerning the Lord's return. No matter what anyone tells you, but off that day, Matthew 24, 36, off that day and are no man knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And so when we hear all this, let's examine what we are told. Let's examine what we are told. I spent some time this morning speaking to one of our residents and her family. And when I spoke to her, her family had asked the staff to take the remote control off her because she was watching the news. And she was, they, they, it was putting her in bad health, the worry uh, and sickness it was causing her listening to the news. So I think we need to look firstly at prophecy. Now prophecy breaks into two different ministries or two different subsections or whatever way you want to put it. You have the prophetic office, and you have the spirit of prophecy. Ephesians 4, verse 6, it says, And he gave, this is God gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And here's the important bit, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the office of a prophet is to edify or to build up or to encourage the body of Christ. 
And it's, now the, the, the office of a prophet is separate and distinct from the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is one of the gifts of the spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, for to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And there we have the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit which are operating in the latter-day church, the Pentecostal churches, and the gift of prophecy is one of them. Now, the spiritual gift of prophecy was given by the Lord like the other gifts for a specific reason. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. So this means that the church is to profit from the nine spiritual gifts. That includes prophecy. It is to profit. It is to build you up. It is to encourage you. The exception of these, obviously, is the gift of tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, and, and that's not 2 to 33, it's verses 2 to 3. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh on, not unto man, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. High be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. So he speaketh mysteries. What are mysteries? Well, mystery is something that is not known, not normal, and known only to God until someone interprets. So while whoever speaks in an unknown tongue, they edify, they build up themselves. But the one who interprets the tongue is to edify or build up the church. So the interpretation of tongues, therefore, is to build up and to bless the church. And for me, it cannot be personal. I don't need a tongue to tell the Lord I love him. I don't need a tongue to tell the Lord that we want to bless him in our praise. For me, it's not personal. It can't be personal. And so it's interpreted, it has to be a word of exhortation to the body. And likewise, a gift of prophecy is to build up, encourage, and help believers in their faith. I don't believe the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy, is for correction and rebuke. That's the ministry of a prophet, someone who's recognized as a prophet. Within the churches of God, I've only heard of one individual who was recognized as a prophet, and that was the late Elder Joe Bell. And he was recognized as a prophet because he prophesied and the things that he said came to be. And that's the guiding rule for us all. If someone tells you something's going to happen or someone gives, tells you something's about to come to pass, then let's see if it does. And if it doesn't, then they're, they're, they're a false prophet. Churches sometimes, I believe, get a word of wisdom mixed up with a spirit of prophecy. But you know something? At the end of the day, a word of wisdom like the eight other gifts were given for specific reasons to build up, to edify, to encourage, to strengthen believers in their faith. It wasn't given for rebuke or to discourage, but to encourage. 
You can, you can correct someone by encouraging them. You don't have to hit them with a hammer to encourage them to change their ways. And this is what the spirit of prophecy is given for. Now, concerning the role of a prophet, the Lord gave what I would call protections for the church to watch for. And I believe the church does need protections because, you know, the last thing on earth you want to do is criticize a man or a woman of God. But you need to look at the Word of God and you need to see what God says. And it's not wrong to not, ch- not beat someone up, but to challenge what they say. Because the Lord has given you protections. In First uh, John 4, verse 1, and this is important. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Try the spirit. If someone is given a prophecy like these guys talking about these last days, well, then try it. Look at the Word of God. See if it is in line with the Word of God. Someone gives you a personal prophecy. Try it and see it if it is of God. I can speak personally here. I, I, way back, about 93, 94, wasn't it? I went down to Larne. Uh, the, the pastor we had down there left. And Pastor Conley had asked me to go down and help out. And I only went down to help out. I had no intention and Pastor Connolly had no intention of leaving me down there. But an individual down there and another individual came to me and said, I have a word f- for you from the Lord. You're the man for Lauren. You have to go down to Lauren. That's not what the God was telling me. But they were genuine enough. And so I tried. I, I wanted to see if what they were saying is true. Then one evening in the Shankill, and Pastor McComish wasn't well, uh, and before Pastor Reynolds came on the scene, I used to go over quite often, do Bible studies, Sunday services, funerals, dedications. I went over and helped Brother McComish. But one evening I was over, and two of the members came to me and told me that the Lord told them that I have to come to the Shankle as the pastor. So I said to him, look, I need to consult Pastor Connolly and Pastor McCulloch, who are my spiritual fathers as such. You know something? You know that didn't come to pass. So you try the spirit. The first Saturday we moved up here to the Glenmacken site, we all came up from Strandtown, all the gentlemen and some of the sisters came, and we were clearing trees and everything, clearing the banks to start building the, the, the old church. And I'll never, ever forget it. Pastor McCulloch came over to me. For no, I didn't know. I thought he wanted to ask me something. He put his hand on my shoulder, and he says, one day you will lead this people. And then about a week later, Pastor Connolly uh, prophesied over me saying, uh, one day you'll be a shepherd in Glenmacken. So having tried the spirits, they were in line with what God was telling me. So someone tells you something, you know, don't be afraid to say, well, look, let me think about it. You know, let me see what this is. It's not wrong to challenge this. You see, a prophet Why we're told to try the prophets or try the spirit, a prophet, the word of God said, is known by their fruits. And of a person who is not producing fruits and is nothing but a critical spirit of the church and the people in it, then they're not a prophet according to the Bible. That's the word of God. That's not me speaking. That's not my thoughts. That's the Bible. 
They're known by their fruits. What are the fruits? Well, in Pentecostal churches, they are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, temperance, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith. All the Old Testament prophets, although Israel and Judah were deep in sin, do you know something? Read about them. They loved the people of God. They interceded for the people of God. They loved the people of God. <clears throat> and they brought God's rebuke, but they brought it in love and in a desire for the people to turn back. Not condemning them, not telling them they should all be stoned, they should all be burned, but a desire in their heart to turn back to God. Turn back to And they were hated for it for the way. Just, I was reading per, uh, just devotional uh, Jeremiah recently, and Jeremiah was in prison. Why? Because he told the truth. He told it in love. But such was their hatred. Him and many other prophets were imprisoned. They were never self-righteous. Not one of them was ever self-righteous, boasting about, I am a prophet of God. They were recognized by others as prophets. If someone tells you they're a prophet, more than likely they're not, because you should be able to tell by their fruits who they are and what they are. They never thought that they were so holy and mighty men and women of God that everyone else was cast out by God, horrible sinners, undeserving of God's love. If I'm wrong, please show me, but I can't find it in the Word of God. They were humble men of God with a message from God for the people, for restoration and for a God of mercy and love. For example, uh, not Isaiah, Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 14, he thought that he was alone and everyone had left and forsaken the Lord. Now, this was not specifically a prophet against the people. This was a prayer. If you read it, this was a cry from the heart of a man who was burned out emotionally and physically. But the Lord encouraged him and told him in 1 Kings 19, verse 8, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. You see, Elijah did love God's people and was greatly saddened as he thought everyone had turned away from the Lord. You see, he thought that everyone had turned away. Me alone, God. I'm the only one, God. And yet God had to remind him. I have 7,000 people in there. That wasn't, I'm alone, send fire down and burn them. I believe it was, me alone, Lord. Lord, restore your people. That your kingdom might be built up. That your name might be glorified. The reverse of that was Jonah. He was angry with the people of Nineveh. Or he was angry with God, actually. Because the people of Nineveh repented and the Lord forgave them. Now, although they weren't seen as the children of the Lord, he was rebuked for this. Paul highlights for us in 1 Corinthians 14 what the church must understand concerning prophets to protect them from false prophecy. Let's look at the Word of God. And let's God's Word speak for itself this morning. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. And if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you... You may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. 
For God is not the author of confusion, as in all churches of the saints. And so, as I've said, God gives us some protections. Okay, let's look at the fruits of their labor. Are they, do we recognize them as genuine, humble men or women of God who love God's people? So that's our, our, our first one. Now we're told if someone uh, speaks, we need to hear another voice. If it's a prophecy from God. So as I said, we must look at their labors, if they're self-righteous, contentious, willing to sow discord and disunity among the church. Do they encourage the people to follow the Lord, or do they discourage the people with their man-made traditions? Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, this problem isn't unique to our generation. This problem was right from the start. Paul suffered it. He's seen it in his churches. Uh, Peter's seen it. John's seen it. And, and so they give warnings. They, they give protections to the church. And that's why it's important for every Christian to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and give you discernment to reveal false prophets and false prophecies. Church, the Bible says, because someone believes they are a prophet, does not mean that they are a prophet. In the Bible, the prophets were known and respected as men and women of God by their humility and their love for God and his people. And this is the warning that I feel very important in these latter days. Because just because someone prophesies does not mean they have the spiritual gift of prophecy. Because remember, all spiritual gifts of prophecy have to be in the mouth of two or three witnesses. There has to be two or three witnesses to confirm this is from the Lord. And if no one else prophesies along with what they have prophesied, then they are not giving you God's Word. Now, that's the, 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 the protections from the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's in the Word of God. Listen to this again. Look at the verses I've highlighted for you, and there are many more. In these last days, be careful what you read and what you hear and let the Word of God be the, the, the guideline for you to discern these things. And so, you know, as I started this, as I said to you, I wanted to speak about Ezekiel 38, but I felt with, with so much being, so, social media has such a grip in society today, but not just social media, the television also. And I agree with uh, Brother Gunning, turn it off and stop watching the news because I believe it's totally biased, but that's only my opinion. We need to be careful what we read and what we hear. Do we need, be, do we need to be concerned? I was asked recently, do we need to be concerned today or afraid today? Well, I would say just I would, at the moment, I would be concerned, not afraid, because again, we go back to Ezekiel 38, where God said, I am against thee. I am against thee. So we've looked at the guidelines and the, the principles that we should use when we're discerning if someone is a prophet, if someone has said something from the Lord. We have the guidelines from the Word of God, and when we use them, then we can see whether or not we should listen to them or ignore what they've said. So let's look at the last days. You know, one thing just, you know, it amuses me is not the wrong word, but one thing I think about as I listen to all this, 
The signs for the last days have been with us. And now all of a sudden, these people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, we're in the last days. But there are other signs in the Bible which have been with us and which have shown us that we are in the last days. And therefore, what should people do about it? You see, as Christians, we can be concerned because none of us want a nuclear war. Millions will die if there's a nuclear war and they're allowed to fire these weapons. So no one with a brain wants a nuclear war. But no matter what happens, we are safe in Christ. Should this land be annihilated, annihilated, we will all rise again when Christ returns. So we should be concerned. But you know, if you're not a Christian this morning, you should be very afraid. Because I want to show you other, two other portions of Scripture, and we'll see how time takes us this morning, which will show you that we are in the last days, and that we will soon, I don't know when, no man knows they are, but we, I believe we will soon hear the call of the archangel, the trumpet, and see our Lord descending from the earth. And the, 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 the best known, I would suggest, uh, chapter of, of Scripture concerning signs of the last days, or one of the best anyway, and it's from Jesus himself in Matthew 24, and it's in verse 2. And here we see Jesus had sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples come on to him privately, saying, Tell us what shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And so we apply the, the two main principles to this. This is Jesus talking. What are his fruits? Well, they speak for themselves. He died on the cross for our sins. His wisdom, uh, his healing, his love for mankind, his Holy Spirit coming down and dwelling in us. So we should listen to Jesus. And what is he saying? Well, the first thing he says in Matthew 24, which we've been talking about this morning, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. Do you know something? The majority of the Christian world is being deceived. The majority of the Christian world today are waiting for this rapture, this secret rapture to come. And all the Christians are going to be taken away and just hope and pray you're not on a plane that day with a Christian pilot. But you know something? One verse just takes that away. Well, many verses. But one portion of Scripture really annihilates that thought. And it's where Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares. When are the wheat and the tares separated? The Word of God says, when the Lord of the harvest returns. Then they are separated and the chaff or the tares are taken to one side and burned. So that tells me very easily, you don't need to be a, a prophetic genius here, but just read that yourself and you'll see that says when Jesus returns, we will be dwelling amongst the unsaved. The unsaved and the saved will be living here on earth when the Lord returns. And that's that so simple. And this is what I mean about the, 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 this lack of knowledge from the Word of God. This lack of knowledge. 
Then Jesus warned, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and, and shall deceive many. And believe it or not, there are those, and they're claiming themselves to be some great prophet, as I've said to you, or, or some great leader, and some even the things that these televangelists come, comes off with, oh Lord, they need to listen to what they're saying, because they're, they're, they're being actually an antichrist, an antichrist in the Bible means someone who puts himself in the place of Christ, they are talking for God, but they're not talking for God, they're talking for themselves, and they're changing God's word, and they're saying, you know something, this doesn't matter. You know something? This word doesn't matter. So we need to be careful of that. Then the very well-known part of, the, uh, of uh, Matthew 24, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, look at the planet today. I can't remember now, but I think I did read something like well over 100 actual wars going on in the world today, whether it's civil unrest or actual wars within countries. We don't hear about them. They're in some of these countries that you don't hear much about. So when we hear of these wars and rumors of wars, what does Jesus say? He said, the end is not yet. The end is not yet. Then it comes into, for nation shall rise against nation. And yes, we're seeing that today. Kingdom against kingdom. It says there shall be famines and pestilences. We see that in the world today. There will be earthquakes in diverse places. And I know I use it too. I use a phrase, uh, diverse weather in diverse places. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But why I use that phrase is it says that you won't know the seasons. And how do we know the seasons? When the snow comes, we know it's winter. It's hard in Northern Ireland because it rains all year round. But when the rain's warm, we know it's summer. That's how we know the seasons. In fact, the, the Word of God says that. You, you know the seasons. And so I use that phrase, maybe wrongly, but that's what we mean. This is another sign. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now that was really prevalent during the Reformation. But it's still today in China. Still today in Islamic countries where people are hated for being Christians and being killed and murdered. And although we're not being killed, thankfully, in Northern Ireland, but you know something? In the Isles of the Sea, we are hated for standing for the Word of God. Be under no delusion. We are hated for standing for the Word of God. Because to stand for the Word of God, you come into a collision course with men and their lusts and their desires, and you'll be hated. Many shall be offended and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And here we have it. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Why will many be deceived? Because they're not seeking the face of the Lord. Because they're not reading God's Word. There's no knowledge of God's Word. I showed you very simply how to put the secret rapture to bed from one portion of one parable, which Jesus spoke. There's many other ones that I could give you, but we'll go into that maybe at another time. Iniquity shall abound, for the love of many shall wax cold. Church, you keep thinking things can't get worse than they do. Iniquity abounds in our land. It abounds in our land. You've only got to listen to some of the programs and, and look at what they call family entertainment today. Look at what they call family entertainment. 
Watch it for yourself. And you know something? Everything that God said was wrong, they are promoting in the media, in the newspapers, and social media, all these things. Iniquity abounds. People are being taught today it's okay to live as you want. It's okay to declare uh, what you are. I was just amused by a, a caption I seen of two young ladies at a protest. And they said that we will not accept any labels. So they didn't want to be recognized as women. I don't know what they think. It's binary. Whatever they mean by that. They don't want any labels. But yet, anyone that disagrees with them, they're quite happy to put a negative label on them and call them homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, and every phobic you can think of. You know, they don't want to accept labels, but they're quite happy to give you a label because you don't agree with them. You know, church, I'm not offended if somebody disagrees with me. They shouldn't be offended if I disagree with them. doesn't mean I hate you. doesn't mean I want to see you burn in hell. It just means I don't agree with you. And thankfully, we can still do that at the moment anyway. But iniquity is bound. The love of many is, the love of many is waxing cold. The, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end should come. This is one of the, and I know Brother Gunning has pointed this out many times when he spoke, but this is one of the signs and there are lands in uh, the world today and peoples in the world today who have not heard the gospel. And if we believe Jesus, then we've got to believe this. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. There shall arise false Christs, false prophets, and shall so show great signs and wonders. Insomuch, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's why it's important, church. That's why it's important to know the word of God so that you, the elect, are not deceived. And some of these guys can give you very good arguments, even from they believe the Bible. But when you scrutinize it and when you bring in other verses, then you can see the deceitfulness of what they are saying and the deceitfulness of what they are promoting. I told you a well-known televangelist was questioned, is Jesus the only way into the kingdom of God? And he, he replied, well, I wouldn't say that. And his church is packed and his people are being deceived. As I said, no way like criticizing anyone, let alone a man of God, but there are times when you've got to say, no, the Bible does not say that. But these are signs of the times. Many false prophets have arisen. I was sent a video by an American pastor, a friend of mine, Dale Carver. And uh, he showed me this church in Africa. And when the minister, the prophet something he calls himself, comes out of the pulpit, the people lie on the ground because he is that holy that he can't walk on earth. I'm sure some have seen that. I was told it was on social media. These are false prophets. These are deceiving the people of God. And these are the signs that the Lord's return is soon. I'll just, give, I'll just go into one more portion of Scripture, which talks about the last days. Then next week, we'll really concentrate 
God willing, in Ezekiel 38. This is Paul, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. What are these perilous times which Paul points out for us? This is speaking again to the young man he's mentoring and making him aware of what Paul said would be the signs, as it were, for God's people to see that they are in the last days. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. Now, I know we joke and talk about selfies and all, but what does it mean by lovers of their own selves? They have no thought for God. It's what they desire. What feels right, do it. That's what we're told. What feels right, do it. That's what the Word of God says. What are not the, what the Word of God says. That's what men say. They are lovers of selves. They go their own way. They do their own things, and they ignore the things of God. They are covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. You know, the Lord's name is taken in vain daily by these people, boasting uh, of what they are, of who they are. Covetous. We've seen multi-millionaires, multi-billionaires, and they want more. They're never satisfied. One of the rich, I'll not say his name, one of the richest men on the planet, I was reading about him, and apparently every second or something, he makes so many hundred dollars interest. It's maybe even more than that. And they say if he spent and tried to spend his money in his lifetime, he couldn't. He has that much money. He couldn't spend his money in his lifetime. He's getting that much interest. Do you know something? He has been in rehab clinics many times. He's been with many wives many times. That man can't find peace. He wants more. He sees some other beautiful woman. He leaves a woman he's with, and he's away. Covetous. And I pray for him. I'm not saying that he's the only one, but I'm using him as an example of never being satisfied. Paul said, notwithstanding, I have learned that in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Men of the world are not content. They always want more. They are covetous, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. You know, that disobedient to parents really was highlighted when we in the United Kingdom came out of Europe. There was family split over that. Younger people thought we should stay in, even though their parents tried to show them from the Word of God. And I do know Christians whose children turned on them because they wanted to come out of Europe. Disobedient to parents, that's just one example. Without natural affection. You know, I can't flower this up. Paul's talking about homosexuality. I can't change it to be politically correct here. Without natural affection. Men today, their lusts and their desires rule their heads and rule their hearts. They seem to let their desires run away with them. There's even, I mean, we're here with some young people, so if I say the word bestiality, you'll understand what I mean. There was a documentary in America where they, had, where they were trying to promote bestiality and make it legal in a particular state. 
There's another documentary come on. I never watch him, but he was advertised, Louis Thoreau. Any of you ever watch him in his documentaries? He was having a documentary for eroticism with planet Earth. And these people were claiming that they could make love to the Earth. Honest to goodness. Without natural affections, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that means lacking of self-restraint, uncontrolled, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And you know, when we read these, and I don't think back then, and like me today as I read this, this isn't a ma- message of hatred to people who are living like this. This is a prayer that God will turn their lives around and save them. That God will show them. These signs that Paul gave are the last days. And that makes it more urgent for me to pray for people that are living this way. That are lovers of self rather than lovers of God. There are people that know they need to be saved, but they won't do it. Why? Because it's going to challenge their lifestyle. And I pray for them. I don't hate them in any way, shape, or form. There go I, but for the grace of God. Before I knew God, I was no saint. I remember where I came from, so I'll not condemn anyone. And I don't think God will condemn anyone. People condemn themselves by refusing to turn to God. These are the last days. These are perilous days. I can't and I wouldn't try to even attempt to give you a date because no man knoweth they are. But look, there's just two portions of Scripture and you read them with an open heart and an open mind and you will see these are the last days which Jesus spoke about. These are the last days under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost Paul spoke about. All for us to see. Just look around us, listen to what's going on, and you will see this confirmed. And so it's a prayer of this church that people will see this and that people will turn from their ways and turn to the Lord. That those that have once walked with him will come back to God. We don't want to condemn anyone. I don't want to see anyone lost for eternity. I fear sometimes for the people that I love, good, solid people, that I know that if I was ever in trouble, they would be the first ones at my door to help me. But church, they're not saved. They're not saved. I very rarely see members of my family, particularly cousins, but I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, if they heard I was in trouble, nothing would stop them getting to me to help me. And that's why I care so much that they are saved. That my family are saved. That those that I know are saved. I was going to say those that I work with. These are all Christians anyway. But those that have gone cold, come back to the Lord. Because the signs are there, church. The signs are there. And we can measure them. And we can use the guidelines from the Word of God to measure these prophecies, whether they be the spirit of prophecy, whether they be someone who claims to be a prophet. Will we have the Word of God to confirm what they're saying? That's what I feel God wants me to tell you, to be careful what you hear and what you read. 
and challenge it. That's okay to challenge it and see if it's in the Word of God and see if it spoke actually from God. So we'll leave it there for this week, folks. We'll take this up next week. We'll go into Ezekiel 38 and we'll see, is this another of the signs and is this the coming of the day of the Lord? But smile, don't look so glum. It means the Lord's coming back.